I have been praying for this day for four months, and I know many of you have as well. And that day is here, and we are thankful to have Pastor Mike Wells with us. He was pastoring in a church in Wisconsin one week ago, drove home to Pennsylvania this week, and now he is here, and we are trusting that God has a great message to deliver to us through him. So thank you. Please join me in welcoming Pastor Mike Wells. Thank you, Drew. Thank you. God has given my wife and I a rare privilege, I believe, to, to have this incredible opportunity as, of a nomadic lifestyle, being an interim pastor. I remember years ago, as an adolescent sitting in church, and a guy got up to speak. And I remember distinctly thinking, who is this guy? Why is he here? I've never seen him before. I don't know who he is. Why isn't somebody I know talking? What's the deal? So just in case you're asking that question, who is this guy? I am Mike Wells, and I now have the incredible privilege and responsibility of being the interim pastor here at Berean Baptist. What does an interim pastor do? At the last church where I was serving in as an interim pastor, we just wrapped it up last week, and the new pastor was there, and we passed the baton and had a time of celebration. Uh, the children's ministry there, they got to call me the in-between pastor. I'm like the substitute pastor. There are some people who would say, I'm not a real pastor, maybe, but maybe not. I served for 30 years in the same church in Western Pennsylvania, Converged Church. Before that, I was a camp director, and then after that, I've been serving the last few years as an interim pastor, different places around the east, or in the east, east of the Mississippi, anyway. I am delighted to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. I am confident that God is at work and that we are going to see great things. God is a God who, throughout the recorded history of his activity, which was the Bible, uh, we, we see that he is a God of transitions. In his sovereign, eternal plan, he moves through stages. And many times in the scripture, we have a detailed account of what he did, how he did it. We're going to look at one of those accounts this Sunday and the next two Sundays, Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. And in so doing, we're, there's going to be some very practical takeaways for us as we see how God has done something similar in the past. Brian Baptist is in a time of significant transition. If you are a guest this morning, we are delighted that you are here. We're honored that you are here. This has relevance to our individual lives as it does to our collective life, life as a church. So I don't think you have wasted your morning uh, being with us, and I trust that God will speak to you as well. With that in mind, would you
Would you pray with me? Father, as we turn to your word, we are confident that it is powerful, life transformational. Father, you tell us in your word that it is never wasted, and we are convinced of that this morning. I pray, Father, that your spirit would be our teacher. I pray that your spirit would anoint and would convict and encourage, instruct, comfort, whatever it is that you know we need. I pray, Father, that you would protect these people from any misinterpretation that I may have made, any error in that process, or any inappropriate application that I plan to make. Lord, I ask that you would help us to remember what you want us to remember and to forget what you want us to forget. Give us ears to hear, Father. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. The children of Israel had been in captivity for a long, long time in Egypt. God sent Moses to be their deliverer. And over a relatively short period of time, they left Egypt. Got to the Red Sea, got part of the Red Sea, they went through. They moved north toward the Promised Land. Because of their lack of faith, they ended up in that wilderness for 40 years, during which time everybody over the age of 20, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, died because of their lack of faith. Moses dies. Joshua, who was his lieutenant for 40 years, a 40-year apprenticeship, takes over. And he's received the, the, the word of encouragement from Moses, God himself, and, and he's just ready to go. We pick the account up in Joshua chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priest who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. This morning I want us to focus on the instruction when you see the Ark of the Covenant, then you are to move. The Ark of the Covenant was that physical demonstration or presence of God. So what he's saying is when you see God move, then you get ready to move. We need to keep our eyes on God in our individual lives, in our families, and in our fellowship. 
There are many, many people, institutions, ideas who are calling us to look at them. We can be distracted significantly from looking at God. There are some people that want to look to the past. They want to keep, keep thinking, well, back there in the good old days, it was like this, it was like that. And there are some people who say, well, we need to pay attention to what God is doing with Stanley or Jeremiah or McDonald or one of those big name pastor personalities that we're exposed to on Christian radio and TV and all sorts of writing. Let's look to them. I would offer the counsel of Joshua to you this morning. Look to the ark. Look to God. The fact is, God is up to something. It, it's remarkable to me that God is well ahead of the game. God is the master chess player, excuse me. Several moves out. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly when he wants to do it. He knows exactly how to get it done. I don't know about you, but God has never asked my advice for anything. Never. And I've had some really good suggestions at times. You know, I kind of wish he would have, but he never has. And he never will. God is up to something. And it's something incredible. I, you, we need to keep our eyes on God because of who God is. And even though I cannot tell you what God is going to do, uh, being a pastor for a lot of years and doing a lot of study and all that kind of stuff, I, I have some information about how churches work and, and what God has done in the past. I even had taken classes on how to be an interim pastor. Didn't even know there was such a thing until a few years. Well, I, di I did know, but I didn't. My ex personal experience with interim pastors wasn't all that good. So I, uh, but nevertheless, hopefully yours is better. In the first service, there's a, there's a gentleman who said he, he knew a Mike Wells once. Uh, and he said Mike Wells was an obnoxious, loud guy. And Mike Wells stank. And, and I, I think, well, I'm kind of glad he set the bar low, uh, so I, I think I'll be a little bit better than just real smelly, and, and hopefully I won't be completely obnoxious all the time. But, but, the, but we have limited experience. We can't tell the future. God can. But, but what I can help you remember, because I'm not going to say anything today that you don't already know, if you've been around church world for very long, that we can trust God. And if we keep our eyes on Him, we're going to end up where God wants us to be, and that's where we really 
want to be as well. So, four things about God that I think are demonstrated in this account. God knew exactly where he was taking the children of Israel. He wasn't just, well, let's play it by ear. We're kind of winging this. We're making this up as we go. No, God knew exactly what he was doing, and God always knows exactly what he's doing. And so the first thing we understand is that God's map, his ultimate destination. And what is God's ultimate destination? It's his kingdom. That's where God is going. God is going to the establishment of his kingdom. As the true and living God, his eternal plan is to be the sovereign Lord of all creation. Psalm 115, 3, our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. Proverbs 16, 4, the Lord works out everything for his own ends. Psalm 86, 8 and 10, among the gods, little g, there is none like you, O Lord, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God, big G. We sang a song this morning about the kingdom, God's kingdom coming. We get that from Matthew 6.10. We're told in Luke 11.1 1, that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And embedded in that request is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom equals the rule of God. When you and I surrender to, the, to God totally, completely, his kingdom is established and strengthened. And it happens. He is the, the sovereign Lord. Now, in this particular case, in, Josh, in Joshua, as it's accounted for us, if we flip over to chapter 4, we see Joshua's summary of things. Verse 24. He did this, God did this, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, so that you might always fear the Lord your God. God successfully let them, enabled them to cross the Jordan River. When it was done, Moses, Moses, I'm sorry, Joshua says, this is all God's plan. And he's doing this to demonstrate his power. He's showing people of what he can do, who he is. And he wants people to fear him. He wants people to surrender to him. He wants his kingdom to come. And when God's kingdom is in place, He's glorified. Our lives are better, to be sure. So the first reason we can trust God is that God's map, or ultimate destination, is his kingdom. The second is understanding God's motive. And God's motive is that there are disciples who worship him. Where is he going? He's going to establish his kingdom. Why is he doing that? It's so that there'll be disciples who will worship him. John 4.23 says that the, the Lord is looking for worshipers, the Father, the, who the Father seeks. Spirit and in truth. Matthew 28.19, we are to make disciples. That, those are our marching orders. In the Great Commission, that's the only commandment, is to make disciples. And so we need to be about making disciples because that's what God is doing. That's what God wants. He wants disciples who worship. Now, what happened in this account with Joshua? 
because of their disbelief, because of their disobedience, everybody over the age of 20 died. God was not going to entrust the promised land with people who would not trust him. God was not going to bless people with all of the bounty of the promised land. It was not going to trust people who didn't trust him. And it's the same today. God will not bless you, will not bless me, our families, our church, if he can't trust us. Because he wants disciples who worship him. So God's map, his destination is his kingdom, his motive, his disciples who worship him. God's method. And I wish I could tell you a different answer to that. But I can't because the scriptures won't let me. God's method is that he uses trials. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 talks about we're, we're grateful for trials of many kinds. Count it all joy, the passage says. The, the, the testing of your faith, that's the trials, develops perseverance, and perseverance ends up with maturity. Ah, what an incredible thing. Perfect and complete. Romans 5, suffering. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance equals character. Character equals hope. There is no way for you, for me, for anybody that we care about as individuals to become mature, to become complete without going through trials, suffering, persecution. Just not possible. The same is true for churches. The children of Israel <coughs> they had been in bondage for a long, long time, a trial. They came to the Red Sea, Red Sea in front of them, they couldn't get across, the mad Egyptian armies coming after them. God put them in a tight place. Then he showed up, they went through the Red Sea. The wilderness wanderings, while they were being judged, God also blessed them. He fed them with manna, manna is so, the word manna actually means what is it? This thing, this food substance showed up every morning. They ate it. When they wanted some meat, God sent in quail, and they hovered down close, and they took out sticks and whacked them. You know, it's a, a different, different way to go bird hunting, but that's what they did. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. God provided water in a barren desert land. So in the midst of trials, he was developing them. Now they come to the Jordan, and it's at flood stage. This is not an accident. This is not bad strategic planning. This is God's way of putting them in a place where only their faith and trust in him would get them through it. I grew up next to the Ohio River. Huntington, West Virginia. It's where Marshall University is. You may have seen the movie, We Are Marshall, about the plane crash and all the athletes. Well, Huntington sits on a floodplain. 
And back in 1936, there was a massive flood. Uh, and so uh, they built what we called the flood wall. It was like a levee. It was a physical wall that, that, that because of the topography and the river, it's possible to, to, for Huntington to actually box itself in so the water can't get to it. And so as the river goes up and down, different seasons, different, there's some times of lots of water, times of drought. I remember one particular summer, it was a very, very, very dry summer, and the river went way down. And we would go out there and play, and we could actually walk almost across the river on dry land. And there were big, big puddles, pools, where the fish got trapped. And we would go fishing with sticks, you know, like a ball bat, whack them in the head, you know, get a big catfish, you know. And it was kind of fun as a child to do that. I remember one, well, actually more than once, the water was really, really high. This flood wall thing where I lived was made out of earth, dirt. In certain parts of the city, it was made out of cement. But it was high. You could stand on the top of it and look down on two-story houses. So it was 30 feet plus. And I, I saw the water get within 18 inches at the top of that. That would be like flood stage. That's the Jordan when the children of Israel. This is not an easy task. This is not something that can be handled by normal resourcefulness. It's a stress. It's a trial. Because God is at work in their lives. He wants them to learn to trust him. Their parents didn't. He wants them to. And they did. But that's what God does. So if you're in your particular walk, in your life, on your journey, if you've got trouble, if you've got stresses, if you've got persecutions, trials, God's at work. It's highly possible that at some point you will come up to me and you will ask me to pray for you. More than delighted to do that. My experience with churches is that usually that's about something that has to do with your health. That's a safe prayer request. And that's okay. It really is. I'm not saying it isn't. Just be aware of the fact that when I pray for you, I will be asking God to heal you because I believe God can does that, can do that. And sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he does it miraculously, sometimes he uses physicians and, and all the particular expertises that people have spent their lives honing. I'm grateful for those people. But at the same time, I will ask God to help you learn the lessons that he wants you to learn in the midst of the trial. So losing a job, going through the grief of, of a significant loss, health issues, uh, all, all of those things. God is the master chess player, and he's bringing those into your life so that you will, when you trust the Holy Spirit, to guide you and to enable you, you will mature. Quick, very quick rabbit trail. 
If this was a parenting message, I would now talk to all of you parents and grandparents who hover over your children and who are, do everything and anything to make their lives easy. That's a mistake. That's bad, poor parenting. Your children will never mature. Children do not mature without pain. When our daughters were younger, my wife was getting a little bit apprehensive because they, they were, it looks like we were beating them on their legs. They had all kinds of bruises and stuff. And so she had to take them to the doctor. And the doctor looked at them and said, that's, a, that's exactly what should be happening. Three and four-year-old kids, uh, younger children should have bruises and bumps and, because they're getting up and they're falling and they're learning and, they're, and, and that's normal. That's healthy. If there had been no bruises at that particular point in their development, the doctor would have been concerned. God isn't delighting in bruising us, but he does it because he knows we will never mature without it. Now, off the rabbit trail as far as parenting goes. Uh, and back to, back to this, and that's what's happening here. So God's, the destination of his map is his kingdom. His motive is he wants to see disciples who worship him. His method is trials. And his means is always imperfect people. Moses was an imperfect guy. Joshua was imperfect. We don't have a lot about Joshua. He's really, by and large, a really good guy. If you look at the body of his work, you can step back and you can say that Joshua failed to help the children of Israel get ready for when he was gone. Because when he is off the scene, we have the book of Judges, and when the book of Judges comes, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. They followed hard after God as long as Joshua was there, but when Joshua was gone, they just kind of melted. They disintegrated. Joshua didn't do a good job there. Moses did a really good job in preparing his successor, and that was Joshua. So Joshua was a regular guy like you and me. He was imperfect. God always uses imperfect people. That's normal. Because none of us are perfect. And God uses people like you and me so he gets the credit. God's means are is imperfect people. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. Christ's ambassadors, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. God uses us to, to get the message of Jesus out there. He uses us. The question that I want to leave you with is, are you ready for whatever God wants to do? If you were to flip over and look at chapter 4, the last verse, Joshua, and I think I've already mentioned this again, but let me say it just for, for emphasis. Joshua is summarizing what happened after they crossed the Jordan River. He, God, did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. That comes, that's so people will know him and his kingdom will be established and they will become his disciple and follow him. 
and so that you may always fear the Lord your God, that you will mature and you will see what God is doing. My father, of whom I am very proud, very proud of both of my parents, they're with the Lord now. They live long lives. They were in their 90s when they, they were ushered into the presence of Jesus. My father served the, the Navy during World War II. He served on the aircraft carrier, the Wasp. The Wasp met an untimely demise, torpedoed by Japanese submarines. And I would love to, I'd love to hear my dad tell the stories about on the, on the Wasp and all that happened and how he met my uncle who introduced him to my mother and all of those kind of things. Well, fast forward, dad's out of the Navy. He's a plumber. My dad's, I'm a PK, a plumber smith. Uh, and, um, and he got up for work six days a week. And for most of my childhood, this is what we saw. He rolled out of bed, still sitting in the bed, put his feet on the floor, reached over and put his shoes on. Now, he had his underwear on, but he put his shoes on. Then he went ahead and put his trousers, his pants on, his shirt, and stuff like that. And as a child, my sister and I, we always thought that was kind of humorous, kind of funny. And we would joke him about it, and, and when he got to be a, a lot older, he stopped doing that. I think he just thought his kids thought he was silly. But we really didn't. We had the greatest respect. But, but we asked him, why? Dad, why do you put your shoes on? First, who does that? We, we always, you know, got dressed and then put our shoes on. And this is what he told me. When he was in the Navy, when he was on a ship, they had to be ready. They were in combat. This was war. And they had to be ready at a moment's notice. 24-7, if they're sleeping, they had to be able to wake up, boom, go to work. Do whatever they had to do to defend the ship and to do their job. And on the ship, they could run around, if they had to, buck naked. But they had to have their shoes on to protect their feet because they could not do what they had to do because of the, the metal, the sharpness, the heat, all that went with it. So he had to always be ready to do his job by putting his shoes on first. So here's the question. Are your shoes on? Are you ready to get involved with whatever God wants to do here at Berean Baptist. I hope you are. I hope you don't take the position, well, I'm just going to kind of hide and watch. Interim pastor, who's that guy? We don't care. We're going to take some time off. We're tired. We're, no. Our responsibility to be salt and light continues. Well, I don't think I like where all this is going, so I'm going to step back and I'm going to watch. And No, lean into it. Stay connected. Stay involved. Keep your shoes on. 
because we have no idea what God is going to do in your life, through your life, individually, and as a church. You don't want something important happening and you're not ready. You don't have your shoes on. Now, again, I'm, this is figuratively at this point, okay? All right. Dad would say, what if there's a fire? I got to go fight a fire. I got to have my shoes. We're under attack. I got to have my shoes. If I'm supposed to go do the thing, I'm working with airplanes. What am I supposed to do? See, I don't know what God's going to do. You don't know what God's going to do, but be ready. Keep your eyes on Jesus, on God, and keep your shoes on. Stay ready, because God has this incredible, incredible future for us. Notice what Joshua told the people. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And I can say in the authority of God's word that tomorrow God is going to do amazing things among you. I'm not saying he hasn't done great things in the past. Let's keep our shoes on, and let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. We look back on this account, and, and we are intrigued. We know the story. These people didn't. We know how it ended. They didn't. But you told them to keep their eyes on love. You told them to be ready. So Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us not to become distracted. And Lord, help us to be ready. Whatever that means for each of us, Lord, your spirit knows. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It's great to be with you. Keep your shoes on.